morning, we're going to basically do a topical study on the heart, but particularly the deceitful heart. We're going to look at this morning from the book of Jeremiah, a deceitful heart. So if you would open your Bibles up to Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah chapter 17, and we'll ask the Lord's blessing upon us, and then we'll read a few verses found there. Let's pray. Father, do bless us. Bless us to understand your word. Bless us to comprehend it, to know it. Lord, that it might be in us, in our hearts, that it might flow from us into our practice, into our habits. Lord, we pray that as we look at a deceitful heart, we would examine ourselves. Lord, we would become more knowledgeable in being able to discern whether or not our hearts are full of good or full of evil, whether it's encouraged or whether it's distressed and anxious. Lord, whatever the case may be, we ask, Lord, that you would disciple us in Christ, that we would be able to see what a deceitful heart is and turn from it when we see these things in our own lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 and 10. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And thus ends the reading of God's word. Now, brothers and sisters, Jeremiah provides the disciple of Jesus Christ a, the perfect study of understanding human nature. Human nature. That is, if we as disciples of Christ want to go to a, a, a book in Scripture that, to study where my, whereby we might understand ourselves, Jeremiah is a great book to do this. And the reason for this is because Jeremiah, one of the themes in Jeremiah is the heart. Jeremiah uses the word, the Hebrew word for heart, over 50 times in the book. Tells us, that alone tells us that it's, a, it's a, an important aspect or idea of the teaching of Jeremiah. Now that's not the only um, theme in the book, but it's an important theme as Jeremiah is prophesying to those inhabitants of Judah, the southern portion of Israel. And as he is uh, basically having to address those uh, Judeans that would not go into captivity, they wanted to stay and remain in Jerusalem after God had told them that they would be exiled and they would, that they would go into uh, Babylon as captives. There was a group of Judeans that basically said, no, we will not. Jeremiah is sent by God to prophesy to them while Ezekiel, the prophet we looked at last week, was sent to prophesy and to teach and instruct the um, exilers, the ones who were in Babylon. So we have two prophets that are contemporaries. One is prophesying in the southern region of Israel, the other in Babylon itself. 
Jeremiah is having to address this wayward people, this stubborn and obstinate people, and the heart is central to the message that Jeremiah brings to the people. So if we're going to study, if we want to study and we want to understand the inner man, the psyche, Jeremiah would be a great book to do this because he refers to the heart so many times. He gives so many varying descriptions of the heart. Now, before we look at this particular passage, we need to broaden our minds, so to speak, in this idea of the heart. Now, the Hebrew word has a range of meaning. It, it, it means the very organs of the body. It means the mind, the thought process. It means the deepest, most secret places of man or woman. Those, those inner desires, it, it means a will. To, to have a heart toward something means to have a will toward, an inclination for, or a, even a strength for. You might think of the verse that our Lord Jesus uses to address the question, you know, Lord, what's the two greatest commandments? And I know you know this, but think about it in terms of what I'm already talking about in Jeremiah. When the Lord Jesus is asked, what are the two greatest commandments? Our Lord teaches us is to love the Lord thy God with what? All our hearts, right? All our minds, all our soul, mind, and strength, if you will. That is that there is this capacity, there is this dimension of understanding of the word heart that we all can relate to and, and, and must contend with if we are going to be discerning, if we're going to be a, an understanding disciple of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be knowledgeable, it would really help us to study this idea of the heart. The deepest, darkest inner person, the character, his personality is heart. Um, the conscience sometimes is referred to as heart. A distressed conscience is oftentimes in Psalms uh, termed as a distressed heart. And so, again, it's a, it's a multifaceted word. It, it's, it's many... It's multidimensional, and it's something that if we're going to be uh, the Bible students, it would definitely be something we need to have in our arsenal, if you will, to understand it so that we can make sense of, of multiple passages. I believe the word itself in all of its variations is used over a thousand times in Scripture. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty important aspect of scripture. And we're going to look at some of this and let's look at the range of some of Jeremiah's uses of the word. Uh, open up your Bibles and again, let's begin at chapter 3 of Jeremiah. Chapter 3, we're not going to look up every passage because like I said earlier, uh, that would we would have to look at over 50 verses and we're not going to do that. Time 
certainly will not permit us to do that. So I'm going to go through just a few texts, maybe a dozen, so that we can get a full idea of what Jeremiah, how Jeremiah uses the word so we can come back to Jeremiah 17 and then really look at a deceitful heart. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 10, the verse in the NASB says, Yet in spite of all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart, but rather in deception declares the Lord. Now here's the idea here, and that is this. Judah and Israel, the Lord sees them as sisters. Metaphorically, he says, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom are like sisters. Well, Israel has already been judged. Israel has already, uh, God has already uh, come and judged Israel. But guess what her sister didn't do? Did not heed that judgment. And so Judah is a sister that God goes on to say in the book is worse than the other sister because she sees the heavy hand of God's judgment on her sister for her waywardness, but does she repent? No, she doesn't. And so there is this idea, if you will, that they didn't turn. And that's what he says, his treacherous sister. The treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with all her heart. You know what happened? They only came back in pretense. That is, they came back with this show of humility. But were they humble? No, they weren't humble. They came back with this, the sound of voices of praising God. But where were their hearts? Far from Him. Look at verse 15. He says, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. Here's a verse where the prophet reveals that even God, some of our understanding of God is what? God has a heart. What does he mean? That God has a will, that God has delight, that God takes pleasure. And what is some of this? He says that I will give you shepherds after my heart. Shepherds that are desirous to do my will. You know, to be after God's own heart is to want to do the things that God wants you to do and to do the things that God even takes delight in Himself. We know God takes delight in righteousness. We should take delight in righteousness. God takes delight in doing the, uh, the right things, being a person of integrity, having that, that character that is honorable in His sight. Yeah, all of these things that we should long for and we should hope for. And God goes on through Jeremiah and he says, listen, I'm even going to give you shepherds, that is pastors, uh, prophets, of uh, these priests that have this shepherding capacity over my people. They too are going to lead you to my heart. They're going to lead you in the ways of my heart. And that's exactly what a faithful shepherd should do. I don't think I need to go on, but you can notice there in 2 and verse 15, notice who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. You know, if we have this idea that heart is simply emotion, heart is simply I feel close to God, we really do miss the point. Uh, Feeling is not something that is absent from the Christian life, but feeling is not something that drives the Christian life. 
Knowledge and understanding. Understanding what the will of God is, is to understand His heart. And we could go on and on, and I don't necessarily think we need to. Um, But you can see in the context there, look down at verse 16, it says, And it shall be in those days when you are multiplied and increased into the land, declares the Lord. They will no longer say the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and it will not come to mind. That's another word. That's the same word for heart. Mind. Nor will they remember it, nor will they miss it, nor will it be made again. At that time they will call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations will be gathered to it to to Jerusalem for the name of the Lord, nor will they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. So we see what? We have evil heart. We have a heart after God. We have an evil heart. We have a pretentious heart, a heart that's fake. I mean, you can notice, look at the, the, uh, just the range of how James addresses human personality uh, already just in one chapter. It's very important to his, to the whole theme of the book that what James is dealing with, James is dealing with that when, that the, the, the corruption of the people that he is preaching and prophesying to are corrupt in their innermost being. These are not accidental things. It's important to note that. Um, let me go ahead and just a, a, a couple of other things. Turn to chapter 4. Your ways, uh, chapter 4, verse 18. Your ways and your deeds have brought this upon you. This is your doom. It is bitter. And it has reached your very heart. What seems to be the idea here. Well, in verse 14, he's already talked about them washing their evil heart. They needed to wash their evil heart so that they might be saved. But notice, their hearts had become so corrupt, so hard, so indifferent, so dull, that the that it took a judgment like God has... That, like God was bringing upon them to do what? Reach the heart. The heart can become so, so hard and indifferent and dull that it takes more than warnings. It takes more than confrontation. Those days were over. God says, now I bring to you the judgment of another nation upon your heads your children are taken off into exile. You, you know, your, your, your men are killed in battle. Your women are taken to be wives of other people. Why? To reach your heart. To cause you to sit back in your, in, in, in your in, innermost secret place and ask yourself, where am I with God? Why am I not sensitive to these things? These are, these are, this is, 
the things we need to wrestle with here. You can see right there, verse 19, my anguish, my anguish, I, 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 I writhe in pain. Oh, the walls of my heart, my heart is beating wildly. I, can't keep, I cannot keep silent for I hear the sound of the trumpet, the alarm of war. What do we see there when we look at the word heart? We see there's sort of this, this anxious conscience. This, this prophet is like this, this, this anxiety, this almost a horror of conscience. I can't sleep, I can't eat, I can't do anything. I am pressed down. Why? Because my mind, my heart, my conscience has burdened me. I have to speak about these things. You know, so much for thinking that the Bible simply gives a, a, a gospel message and that's all. But brothers and sisters, I can certainly show you that if you come to Scripture with your eyes open and your ears open to understand human nature, you will become a master of human nature by, by studying the one who created humans, humankind, mankind. The one who created the human race, God Almighty, He knows the heart. And that's exactly what He says in the text we read this morning, Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 21. Hear this, O foolish and senseless people. Senseless is another word for heart. Who have eyes to see, but do not see. Who have ears to hear, but what? They do not hear. Now let me, let me take you back a few weeks. Didn't we read something similar to this in, in Matthew 13? We did. This is, this is the idea that Jesus used in order to teach in parables, didn't he? He says, listen, these people that are following me, they are so full of sin, they are dull. They don't really want salvation. They don't want to be saved. They, don't, they only want the desires and pleasures of their heart. Therefore, they can't hear what I'm saying. Same thing with the prophet Jeremiah. He says, well, you know what? It comes a time and a place when I come and I preach the Word of God. God's people, those professing that visible church, God's people on earth, guess what? They can't hear. They can't listen because they have bought into sin in such a way that they have dulled their own hearts and they're unable to receive the truth. It's a very perilous condition, isn't it? Verse 23 of chapter 5, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. There's another aspect of the heart. So we've got a full heart. We have a heart after God. We have an evil heart. We, can, we have this idea of washing our hearts, which is talking about repentance. That's one of the things that Jesus talked about is washing your hearts. Paul talked about this as well. You can see how these ideas flow right out of the New Testament, right into the New Testament. Same concepts and ideas. And, Jane, and Jeremiah does this too. He says, they are a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and go away. What's Jay, uh, one of the things that Jeremiah is talking about here is that, that, that God's people have a standard. And what happens when God's people stray from the standard? It's a demonstration of a rebellious, stubborn heart. But it's interesting, right? When most people are confronted about their sin and they are confronted with being wayward, they will deny having a stubborn heart. 
They'll deny having a rebellious heart. In fact, so many today, and I think it falls under the, 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 the idea of deception that we're going to look at in a minute. They'll say, I'm not rebellious. I love God. I'm not rebellious. I love God. I, 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 why would you think I'm stubborn? And they fail to see that the fruit of a stubborn heart is this pursuit and enjoyment of sin. So there is a standard. God's people have a standard. What is the standard? God's will. God's own heart. Where do we find this? Where do we find God's heart? In Scripture. Where do we find the will of God? We find it in Scripture. That's why the teachers of Scripture equated a following of Christ or a following of God equal to trusting the Word of God. And it's a big, it's a big to-do, and I think unnecessarily in the church today, they say, well, we don't point people to the Scriptures. We want to point people to Jesus. Well, that sounds really you know, spiritual, but the problem is, where did, where did Jesus point people? When Jesus was temptate, tempted by Satan, where did Jesus go? He went to the Scriptures. What was Jesus teaching us by His example? To go to Scripture. And to go to Scripture, and to feast upon Scripture, and to study so that we understand and have our discernments honed and sharpened so that we can have practice wisdom and live righteously and wisely in this life it's the same as following after Christ himself you can't separate the two and if you do you do great damage to your own life and I think it has caused damage to those who practice such terrible teaching well there are several things we can do uh, are several things that we can look at. But let's go to Jeremiah 17. I'm not going to go through any more of these scriptures because I think that you have a, a, at least should have a better understanding. I mean, all throughout the book, James, uh, Jeremiah, I don't know why I keep saying James, but Jeremiah is addressing uh, the heart. And he ends the book of Jeremiah with this great promise that God is going to revive His people in Jeremiah 33, chapter 33, he's going to revive his people. How is God going to bring revival to his people? He is going to write his law on their heart and give them the Holy Spirit to understand and comprehend and to discern so that they may have the proper fellowship and communion with Him. He's going to do a saving work in them so that they might be revived. Now that's how God is going to bring hope and restoration to His people. And of course there is a, a dual dimension to this. That God is going to act and as God acts upon His people, what are they to do? They are to respond and wash their hearts. They are to, 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 to use an Old Testament idea, circumcise the heart, get rid of the flesh, 
Become sensitive to God. Become, stop being indifferent, become sensitive. Stop being uh, unable to discern between good and evil and then start seeing good and practicing it. And that's why we need to look at this deceitful heart. Go back to Jeremiah 17 and let's look at what Jeremiah says here in this verse and notice how there's this, this sort of description medically uh, if you will, of the heart. In verse 9, Jeremiah says that the heart is something. It is. It's a description of what it is, not what it has become. And this is important because Jeremiah is not saying, listen, your environment has shaped your heart and made it sick. That's not what Jeremiah is saying. Jeremiah is saying, man is sick naturally due to his rebellion in the garden in Adam and Eve in the original fall. Why do we call the sin of Adam and Eve the fall? We call it the fall because man fell from something to something. Man gave up, gave up, that, that original righteousness, that promised glory that if they were to pursue their dominion calling, obey God, not eat from the tree of good and evil, walk in His ways, that they would have everlasting life. They would live forever in their posterity. They fell from that to this despair. Sorrow, misery, death. The soul that sins shall die. And that death is more than a, a physical, of, uh, 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 it's more than the breath leaving our bodies. It's everything that comes along with death. That misery, that horror of conscience, that, that, that lack of peace, that inner peace, knowing I'm at war with God, knowing that God's judgment is on me, knowing that I'm not a good person, knowing that I am really a selfish person, knowing that I'm a hypocrite, knowing that I do all these things, it's a facade, it's not real, I fake out my church, I fake out my family. I, all of these things belong to this idea. It belongs to the idea. So, so, in fact, if you, we look in our confessions, or we look in our confession, and we see that this verse is used to talk about man being holy, holy, completely defiled in all of his faculties and parts of soul and body. They quote Jeremiah 17.9. So that is traditionally... Uh, the church has understood Jeremiah 17, 9 to be a description of man in his base, corrupt, fallen nature. So let's look at it. He says, the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, if we're going to benefit from understanding what Jeremiah is talking about here, we need to understand. We've already know what the heart is. Now let's look at what 
deceitful is. What is a deceitful heart? A deceitful heart is a combination of two ideas in, in this Hebrew mind. It's, it's a combination of, of two ideas that, that, that Jeremiah brings together. He marries these two ideas together to create what he says is a deceitful heart. And what are those two ideas? Well, the two ideas, and it's going to seem a little strange, but I think you'll get it in, as we talk about it. One is a footprint, an impression. When you walk on the ground, on particularly sand or soft ground, what do you leave behind? You leave an impression. The second idea that's married to this idea of impression is that of difficulty. It's the word that has this idea of steep hills and and hard to, hard to traverse, hard to, to walk. Mountains and hills, so to speak. A, a hilly land is a land that's hard to traverse. It's, it's hard to, to, to walk across. And so when you marry these two ideas together, what is Jeremiah teaching us? Jeremiah is teaching us that a deceitful heart is a heart that has had sin impressed upon it so much that it has become difficult, if not impossible, to do the right thing. That a heart has become so impressed with sin impressed not impressed though that's impressive but but has been so molded so impressed so shaped by sin that doing right doing righteousness doing what god says has become virtually impossible now let's let's flesh this out a little bit um, let's go to Romans. Romans chapter 12. More than anything, I, I want you to understand how these ideas flow from Old and New Testament. And when you look at Romans chapter 12, Paul seems to be speaking of this same idea. Now, look at verse 1. He says, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each 
a measure of faith. Now, when we look at verse 1, what is Paul saying? Paul says, listen, I want to motivate you by the mercies of God. Let the mercies of God in your life be a motivation for you to abstain from living for this world, to offer yourself up as a sacrifice to God, a spiritual sacrifice. That is, do not be conformed. Do not allow the world to conform you, to impress upon you its philosophies, its motivations, and its, its lies. How do you know you're not being conformed by the world? How do you know? Well, if you're not being renewed, okay, that is, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If you're not being renewed in your mind by the Word of God, so that you might know God's will, so that you may understand Him, so that you may walk with Him, so you can have God's heart after Him, you are being conformed to this world. There are no neutral ground. There's no neutrality here. If you're not being transformed by the Word of God in your studies, the listening to the preaching of the Word, applying and practicing the preaching of the Word, you are being conformed to the world. No, there's no third option. That's the same thing James is talking uh, <laughs> Jeremiah. It's the same thing Jeremiah is talking about here. The heart has become formed, impressed. How so? How, how does the heart, if you will? Well, if you look at what J, uh, Jeremiah goes on to say, he says it's desperately sick. It's, it's, it's deceitful. More than anything else, it's desperately sick. That word there carries the idea of incurable. It's incurable. That is, the heart in and of itself, a, a deceived heart is incurable. It is something that almost, it's supernatural. It's, it's outside itself. God must act upon the, this deceitful heart. He must awaken it up. He must do something to it in order for it to be a serviceable heart, a heart after God. It's incurable. This idea of it being incurable is, is it's, 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 it's a heart that knows sin. It's unknowable to God but it's a heart that's, that's steeped in the knowledge of sin. It's an unknowable in this sense that it's not a heart after grace. It's not a, a heart after God's law. It's not a heart after God's ways. It's a, it's a heart that is desperately sick. It's sick. Why? Because it loves all the things that brings death. Now you may say, well, pastor, that's not me. That's certainly not my heart. Brothers, sisters... Sisters, understand, this is all of our hearts. That our hearts, apart from God's grace, apart from God's mercy, our hearts are deceptive and wicked and desperately incurable. Okay? How did this heart become so sick. Well, I've already mentioned the fall. That's the origin. 
But we're talking about God's covenant people. We're talking about a people that had been delivered, a people that had experienced the miracles and the miraculous workings of God. We're talking about a people that had been given the law of God, the ceremonies of God's law. Now, how did they become so how did they become so deceived? How did they get to a place where they couldn't listen to God's prophets, but they wanted to listen to other prophets tell lies? How did they get to a place where they thought they could disobey God and serve God at the same time? How, how did they get to this place? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 17. And I really think there's kind of two things here that we'll look at, but look at verse 1. It says, The sin of Judah is written down with an iron stylus, with a diamond point. It is engraved upon the tablet of their heart and on the horns of their altars. One of the grievous sins they were guilty of was not obeying God's laws of worship and ceremonial laws. They didn't want to to practice those things. They wanted to worship with their neighbors. They wanted the gods of the people around them. And they sought out what the what Jeremiah and the prophets talked about, the high places, because pagan worship was done on hilltops. And they worshiped trees and they made carvings in the trees and they would bow down and they had these lush green meadow, uh, not meadows, but hilltops. And, and they, and it was a worship that appealed to them on some level. They desired it. So they put off God's ceremonial worship and, and they, broke the Sabbath day. They didn't go after the things of God. They didn't keep the, the sacrifices. They didn't offer praise and worship to Him. They, If they did, they only did it uh, uh, hypocritically. They didn't really want to be there. They only offered it so then they could go worship with their neighbors. And what Jeremiah says is, he says, these sins are etched in your hearts with an iron stylus, with a diamond tip. What is Jeremiah teaching us? That a deceived heart is a heart where sin has become engraven, etched. That's the impression. What gives this impression? How do you how does this impression come? Well, there are several ways. I think looking at the application of it for us this morning, I mean, brothers and sisters, when we begin not receiving the word of God for ourselves as the word of God, that's a step. When we believe that we can become indifferent to truth, when indifferent to the heart of God, you know, I mean, you know, even married couples will say, you know, I no longer have the heart of my spouse. It's a problem. And it leads to problems. And it's the same idea that, that we're no longer going after God's heart, but what are we doing? We're following our own hearts. 
We become our own gods, if you will. We become the one who is the great determiner of our own path and pleasure and righteousness. So it's this step that what was the ceremonial now, why, why would I bring up the ceremonial law? Well, in chapter 17, God addresses the ceremonial law by dealing with the Sabbath day. Now, the Sabbath day was not only a moral issue, but it was also a moral ceremonial issue. And here's what I mean by that. We're taught that the ceremonial law was given so that we might, what, see Christ. They typified Christ. Have you ever wondered why? So many Israelites couldn't understand John the Baptist's preaching. They couldn't understand the teaching of Jesus. They didn't really understand who he was. What was he coming to teach? What was he doing? Why? Because their hearts had not been trained in the ceremonial law. To see, to discern, and to, to, to be sensitive. But those who had become trained by the ceremonial law, those who had their consciences trained by the laws of God, ceremonially, ceremonially, morally, judiciously, what happened when they heard the voice of Jesus? They repented. They humbled themselves. They began following Him sincerely. Why? Because all of the these things in the Old Testament that typified and foreshadowed Jesus, they got it. They saw it. And when He came, they embraced Him. So by putting off the ceremonial law, you know what they were putting off really? Jesus. Jesus. They were hardening their hearts. They couldn't understand. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. Well, there's another aspect of this. It's not just that Jeremiah deals with it toward the end of the chapter, but there, there is this other aspect that notice what verse, let's look at verse 2. He says, As they remember their children, as they remember their altars and their asherim by the green trees on the high hills, O mountain of mine in the countryside, I will give over your wealth and all your treasures for booty, your high places for sin throughout your borders, and you will even of yourself let go of your inheritance that I gave you. I will make you serve your enemies in the land which you do not know, for you have kindled a fire in my anger which will burn forever. What's, what's the Lord saying? The Lord says, listen, you've allowed your hearts to become so impressed and etched with sin that you're going to give up your inheritance. You're actually going to be like Esau. You're going to give over your spiritual inheritance to go after idols. And even by doing that, you're going to continue to kindle my anger. You're going to give it up. You're going to decide, I would rather have the philosophies of the day. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. Listen, listen, listen. This world wants to rob you of all that God has given to you. Satan can't take away your salvation, but he can make you miserable. He can make you miserable. And he makes us miserable when we begin longing for the things of this world and for the things of God at the same time. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's constant 
conflict. It's what Paul talks about in Galatians chapter 5. There's this constant conflict between the Spirit of God and our nature, right? When we begin to to desire anything outside the Spirit of God, the Spirit comes and presses upon us and chastens us and challenges us and torments us, if you will. To what? To repent of those things. There's a cultural aspect to this. Everybody's doing it. Everybody's doing it. But when you begin forsaking what God's heart is, what is God's heart in this matter? What is God's will in this matter? Who defines the role of a man? Who defines the role of a woman? Who defines the role of the family? Who defines the role of the church? I mean, there's a lot of arguments in every one of these categories. In all of these categories. When God's people think by collecting a mass group that they can redefine any of these categories, they are going against the heart, the will, and the Word of God. When they want to shape these areas into something other than what God says they are. You've got this cultural aspect. Culture's not going to make your heart deceitful. Your heart is deceitful. Your heart's ready to be deceived. Your heart longs. Listen, why does gossip spread faster than truth? Why, does, why is error easier to believe than truth? Why does error spread faster than truth? Brothers and sisters, it's a testament to our fallen nature that we'll gravitate more to gossip and slander than gravitating to truth and righteousness. That we'll gravitate more, the ear wants to hear the error than the truth. And we have to fight against that. We have to rise up above it. We have to understand this, that the Lord is going to search the mind and the heart. He's going to give to all according to its ways that we have to actively wash our hearts. We have to actively pursue the heart of God. We have to actively understand that the Word of God must be in us. I mean, brothers and sisters... It is impossible for you to be a faithful Christian and to be a Bible ignorant Christian. It's impossible. It's impossible. The correlation between the Father, the Son, the incarnated Word, and His written Word is undeniable that we can only know and understand Him as we walk in the Spirit of God according to the Word of God as it's in our hearts. It's a personal thing. It's a cultural thing. It's a family thing. Families can participate in in allowing our hearts to be deceived. It's not an environmental issue per se, but it's this idea that, well, you know, we don't want to be fanatical. We don't want to be over 
you know, we don't want to be too much. And so we may be guilty of less and less and less. And what do we do to our children? What do we do to our children's children? We become less influential toward righteousness and we support and promote unrighteousness. These environments are all very simple. We can happen in church. When churches begin to embrace ideas and philosophies that the world tells us, oh, you better embrace this or we'll shut the church down. And then it's no longer the Word of God instructing us. It's no longer the head of the church, Jesus Christ, instructing His people how to live and walk and what to believe. It becomes the world dictating to us what our doctrine and ethics will be. Sexual or otherwise. When the world tells us that, you know, um, how the family ought to be structured. When we begin listening to the world other than what God's Word says. Who's guiding the church? Who's influencing the church? These sins, brothers and sisters, by our own desires, by our own enculturation, movies, music, all of these things, by the things that we give ourselves to, are making an impression upon our hearts. Now, the last part of it makes it hard to do right. This is the other aspect of it. That is, when you're corrected, you listen. Have you ever... I guess the best way to describe this is we all have experienced times when we were told to do something by our parents that we what? We said... I'm not doing it. That's a deceitful heart. That we believe that we can be justified in doing something that's not sinful. We just don't like it, but we're not going to do it. We're not going to, we're, we're not going to, and then now let's add to that places where we give our word, where we take vows, church membership, civil magistrates, where we, where we take, make promises when we do our jobs. I mean, there are all kinds of places where we make promises to do what? To be a certain way, to do certain things. And what happens when we don't want to do it? See, something's happened. It's not in different world here. It's something has happened. Something has made an impression. And now that impression has made it very difficult for me to even hear. For me to receive the truth. For me to be teachable. We could go through. Let's. Um, we're at the end of our time. Turn to Psalm 119. Or turn back to Psalm 119. We'll close with. Uh, there's several Old Testament passages of Scripture that we could turn to. Um, Jesus in Matthew 19, verse 8, talks about the hardness of the heart of the Pharisees and the divorce. It had become a cultural thing. Divorce had become easy. It had become popular. And Jesus points out that, the, that this was all the result or the fruit of a hard heart. Okay? So we're talking about things that happen culturally. What's, you know... Why are people of integrity so apt to support people with no integrity? Because at some along the way, the heart has become so hard and deceptive that we can now actively support 
and promote people that are not after God's own heart. Let's look at the very first portion of Psalm 119. Verse 1 and 2, How blessed are those whose ways whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. Look at verse 10 and 11. With all my heart I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Look at verse 32. I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. What does he mean by enlarge my heart? Lord, enlarge my heart so that I might understand more, so that I might want more of your word. You know, how many, how many Christians are guilty of saying, well, I have Jesus, that's it, that's enough, I've done my duty and so now I can just sort of freelance as a Christian free agent if you will out there. I don't need to really be involved in church or committed to a church. I don't need to be committed to the disciple being discipled in Jesus' name. I don't need to be committed to understanding the, the whole counsel of God's word. I, I you know Lord you don't need to expand my heart because I have enough. That's the opposite of what the scriptures teach here. Verse 34 give me understanding that I may observe your law and keep it with all my heart. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. Look at verse 58. Um, uh, verse 57, the Lord is my portion. I have Promise to keep your words. I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. Verse 69. The arrogant have forged a lie against me. With all my heart I will observe your precepts. Their heart is covered with fat. That is, it's insensitive. But I delight in your law. The brothers and sisters, this is the idea. If I don't have a heart for the Word of God, I have a heart that's fat. It's insensitive toward the Word of God. And all these things, and I think we'll stop here, and I'll, I'll close with, uh, I'll, I'll make a close here. Because we could go throughout the book, of, we could go throughout Psalm 119. Am I leading you to worship the Bible and not Christ? Am I leading you to worship the commandments and not God? I don't think so. You see, brothers and sisters, our hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately sick. The, Jeremiah goes on and says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I search my How does he search your heart? How does he search your mind? With the Word of God, the commandments of God. See, if we're not studying God's Word, if we're not reading God's Word, we're not praying about God's Word, if we're not looking for Christ, then we don't know what God says. We don't know what God can find in our hearts and so that we might root it out. We don't know. How can we grow in sanctification if we don't know what we should do? How can we grow in our affections if we don't never allow our affections to understand God's Word? See, it all comes through the mind and then into the heart. It's not the heart and then the mind. It's the mind and the heart. 
but it's both. It's not one or the other. It's not legalism. It's not intellectualism. But it's not explicitly emotion or emotionalism. It's heart and mind working together so that we might know the heart, the will of God, and that our hearts would be coupled with His hearts, that we would love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. Now, you can only do that by first believing in Christ. See, if your heart's desperately sick, it needs to be cured, it needs to be regenerated, it needs to be made alive, and only God can do that. And God promises to do that to all who come and repent of their sins, right? All who come. And repentance doesn't save you. It's a fruit of God. It's the fruit of, of the Spirit of God already working in you. When the Spirit of God comes and works in your heart, one of the things that comes to your mind and heart is your sin, your unrighteousness. And it wants to cry out to God and ask for forgiveness. So your repentance has never saved you. It is only the fruit of being saved. And brothers and sisters, we should have enough information to begin asking ourselves and looking at our own hearts, at least the deceptive heart, and ask ourselves, what's made an impression on it? And has it become too difficult for me to do the right thing? to humble oneself and say, you know what, Lord, that's a deceptive heart and I've got it. And I want to turn to Christ. I want to wash it. And I want to be born again. I want your word upon my heart. And I want to follow after your ways. Let's pray.